Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, I'm Carolyn Ford, and today I get to welcome back Andre Zook, who was our actually our first guest on Tech Transforms. Hey, Andre, how are you? Hi, how are you, Carolyn? Nice to be back. I, I'm really excited to have you back. Let me let me tell our audience a little bit more about you. Um, Andre is federal security architect at CTG. Did I get it right? Yes, I okay. lead the cybersecurity practice here. Yes. So he has done um, a recent ebook around APM observability, and we're going to talk about that. But what I find the most useful in this ebook is he breaks down um, some of the key mandates for 2023, 2024, like gives a summary and gives some quick wins of how to address these mandates, um, the mandates for the, the federal government. So um, let's dive right into that. And, and first, yeah. I want to start, Andre, with the, the ebook. I better give a full disclosure. So Dynatrace sponsored the ebook, um, and the focus is on what observability or APM can do or help how how it can help um, the federal government meet some of these mandates. Before we get into the mandates, I just want to go to those two terms. So application performance monitoring or APM and observability. Two terms that get thrown a lot around a lot. What do they mean? What is the difference? So uh, for the longest time, the whole field of application performance monitoring was just called APM. It is as the tools became more sophisticated that the terms such as observability came into play. We now started capturing more data like metrics, traces, and logs to describe those are the kind of called the three pillars of observability. And essentially, it's an APM tool that is more mature and captures more sophisticated metrics and performance uh, analysis observations. And actually, if you look at the classical definition of observability, observability, it is a measure of how well internal states of a system can be inferred from knowledge of its external outputs. So we observe what how the system behaves and tell you what is the how is it operating what are the internal states of the system so that's essentially it but in the field in practice i know there are a lot of terms in industry like we had uh, things like software intelligence intelligent observability uh i think some of the other vendors have other terms about it but apm is what customers use on the ground uh frankly they kind of roll their eyes when uh, i approach them and i'm like well it's now it's called observability like look andre uh, we are looking for a tool to help monitor performance of our applications. And now, especially the time when we're government is undergoing digital transformation, it's not just three kind of the three tier architectures where maybe there's a load balancer with some application, sorry, with some web servers in front of it, and then another load balancer going to another couple of boxes that do application logic and maybe a database in the end, in the back end. Those days are gone. Now the government is going to, uh, and actually not just the government, all over the industry, 
where you go into microservices architecture, where that front end, those web servers that are serving the web page, within pieces of different web pages, they now not three or four beefy servers, but thousands of microservices. Going back to not just a couple monoblock application logic servers that execute the entirety of application code, but say if you're asking for something to to figure out a solution to query X, it may be only launched those microservices responsible for answering that piece of the application logic. You don't have to run the entire stack. So what I'm getting at is now the front end is thousands of services. The middle, uh, the application logic can consist of tens of thousands of services. And then the databases, whereas before they were just on-premises, beefy Oracle boxes, for example, or Microsoft SQL, uh, now they are usually cloud native, like Cassandra or DynamoDB or Google Cloud BigQuery. So they're now cloud native tools. And the legacy APM tools, which often would just measure things like delay jitter on the network or response time of a packet, that's not sufficient. You need to actually capture metrics, traces, and logs, which are the three pillars of observability. So that's... So APM is not enough anymore. Do we still have... Correct. APM is a a legacy term that's still used interchangeably. Right. But observability is the is what's uh, I think is the proper term to use. So it, but it's widely accepted at this point that if you say APM, what you really want is observability. But let me dare I ask: Do we still have government customers that are using those legacy APM tools? Absolutely. There's uh, there are vendors like Riverbed and NetScout kind of the legacy APM tools that mostly focus on application performance based on monitoring network traffic. So that would be jitter, packet delay, uh, latency, that kind of stuff. Uh, those those tools still have, they're, they're still used, but now as our speeds and feeds again going up there, just monitoring network is not really a feasible way to capture performance of the application. You need to be actually on the age, on the system to be able to capture these metrics, which is what modern observability tool like Dynatrace does really well. Thank you for that shameless plug. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, let, let me have you unpack or or just sum up the benefits that you just mentioned. Um, for government agencies to have these observability APM tools? Like why why do they need them? I mean, you said it, but let's just, can you, can you yeah, give it to it. me in bullet points? Yes, so if you wanna do kind of the high level business, uh, business level, the bullet points would be application debugging and distributed profiling, root cause analysis, IT service and infrastructure monitoring, behavioral analysis, business analysis, and the runtime application protection. That's called RASP. Those are the generic terms. But I think when if we come take it back to federal government, number one a use case would be cloud migration. So as we are migrating apps from uh, on-premises to the cloud, sometimes we wonder, we want to capture how, what, what are the resources being used. Maybe we over-provisioned it and it costing us money. Or maybe we have customers that say, well, after you move to the cloud, uh, the performance went down, but did it really? And with tools, observability tools, you can do a good job of being able to get ready for cloud migration and profile what you're using right now versus what you'll be paying for in the cloud and provision for that accordingly. And also be able to tell whether it's user uh, issue or whether it's 
really uh, a problem with the new cloud infrastructure. So that's use case one. Use case two, and I think this is now becoming very important because of the executive order, is uh, software supply chain risk management for DevSecOps. So for the longest time, software has been uh, developed in uh, these, every three months you would have a release cycle. That's going away now. We are now moving to what's called continuous integration and continuous delivery, CICD. That's kind of, that's the buzzword right now. And that kind of came from the whole agile development framework. So the idea is that in the past, for, first of all, there was a lot fewer people in the world than it is now. I remember when I went to college uh, in in early 2000s, only 6 billion people. Now we have 8 billion. 100 years ago, there was only 1.5 billion. So the rate of change is huge, and we need our software to be able to accommodate that rate of change. And so with CI/CD, you, you usually use tools like Jenkins would be like one of the big open source tools, which goes, which essentially allows the developers to submit code, get it all revised, checked, compiled, and then send out usually to some sort of cloud infrastructure using infrastructure as code to deploy the code and then monitor for performance. Then he gets gets feedback from the customers about performance or any kind of issues with the code, and you let the developers know again, and they continue and they update the code only to upload it back again to wherever it's being deployed, and so it becomes this continuous improvement methodology. Uh, but that's where you need an observability tool to actually be able to capture performance and any kind of metrics, or traces, logs of how is the application actually performing? How is it under, what's the quality of experience with the customer, for example? What are some of the business drivers that, like, what are the buttons on your webpage that the user's clicking? That kind of stuff. And then take it into account and bring it back to developers so they can update code and update it uh, as quickly as they can. So is that catching, yeah. so you said, like, what I caught was the user experiences pain and gets it back. I'm the user. I don't want to experience pain. <laughs> so correct. Correct. Yeah. With the observability, are you catching it before it gets to me? Yes. So you ultimately automate quality control, you automate deployment and you automate operations. So you that's just said two, two mandates. So supply risk management. No, that's the wrong term. Help me. Actually, let's, uh, yeah, let, let's go, let's dive into it. Should we so, go into them? Okay. Yeah. Because I think that's the meat of it. I, so, I do too. One thing, so SCTG Federal, we are a trusted advisor to our federal customers. One thing that, what's well, it's not one thing, it's a lot of things, but we consistently get this from our customers and uh, IT leaders and cybersecurity leaders. There are all these mandates, and I know I have to fulfill them by February, uh, by September 30th, 2024, but I have no idea what it is. Like, all, there's all these policy docs. What are the capabilities I need to implement? Help me. And that's where usually I come in and we t tell the customers a story about the entire zero trust paradigm, how back in mid 2000s, there was the Jericho forum that consisted of big, uh, big OEMs like Microsoft, Cisco, Oracle that talked about a perimeterless future, right? Where there's no perimeter of firewall to the resources. And then Forrester did their thing and they came out with the Forrester zero trust paper that's everybody refers to then gartner played catch up with their gartner carta i think it's continuous adaptive something security 
And then during COVID, it was uh, August 2020, NIST formalized all these uh, talks about zero trust into NIST S special publication 800-207, where all of this is codified. And then after that, we have your GS, we have the famous uh, GSA house of zero trust, where you have data as the pillar, uh, and you have like networks, identity, applications and workloads, uh, devices as conduits to the data that NSA came out with guidance. We have now DOD zero trust reference architecture, which just came out with version two. We have some variants of that for the Air Force specifically. And all of this culminated in actually May 2021, cybersecurity executive order 14028, which calls for cybersecurity modernization for federal government. And uh, initially that order only applied to civilian agencies, but on January 20 to 22 this year, we have National Security Memorandum 8, which essentially says everything that's covered in Executive Order 14028 now applies to Department of Defense, intelligence community, and uh, it's called NSS, National Security Systems. So for example, I have customers in DOD, like FBI. Like FBI has tons of classified networks. So, and before like, well, like all these zeros trust, like I don't really care, it doesn't apply to us. Well, now it does, Mr. Customer. All, if, you, even if you're in a secure environment, you have to fulfill these mandates. So what are those mandates? So cybersecurity EO- Can I just, before you dive yeah, into the mandates? <laughs> yeah, I just- I just, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go shameless plug for CTG. Listeners, this is why you need Andre. Thank you, Carolyn. This is why you need CTG because this just make my head swim and you haven't even listed them all, but you, you know what they are, you know who they apply to. And I hope you're gonna tell me we're going to get to this, um, like how you prove that you are meeting the mandates, if that's part of it. So yes. I interrupted Absolutely. you. So back no, to you. No, okay. just we we have these talks all the time, so it's like it's I'm exploding <laughs> information. So let's start with uh, so the cybersecurity executive order uh, for May 2021. There are eight sections. So the most important one is section three, but we'll start with number one. So number one talks about how we need to embrace uh, robust cybersecurity and actually focus on security, not just for IT, how we did traditionally, but also for OT systems. OT stands for operational technology. And this usually talks involved, uh, when we say OT, generally we think industrial control systems. But now where we have explosion of sensors everywhere, it also applies to IoT. So for example, we now have firewalls that can detect if IoT is compromised by profiling what's normal for say, you know, a refrigerator that's connected to your network. That's the stream, it looks a certain way to uh, the firewall, for example. But if, it, if it's infected or it's compromised, its traffic pattern will change. But the same can be applied to a weapon system somewhere deployed in Ukraine, for example. So that's uh, number one. So executive order applies to OT and IT. Number number one, and number two talks about how federal government needs to improve information sharing between federal agencies and uh, private sector. There's a lot of the cyber research gets done in, uh, and a lot of threat hunting happens in the commercial sector, but also NSA is probably one of the biggest hacking institutions in the world. And so being able to have synergy between the two will improve the overall state of cybersecurity for us as a nation, as the United States. And now we get to number three, the most important probably direct uh, section. It's 
is the zero trust section. So the, the way the cybersecurity executive order is written, they like to call it cybersecurity modernization, but zero trust is that paradigm of all, never trust, always verify, perimeterless future, and what's key is continuous evaluation of user behavior as the user or machine user is accessing a resource. And this calls us, there's a policy decision point that continuously monitors what's happening and tells the policy enforcement point, the PEP, whether you block or limit the access to a resource. So in the original May 2021 executive order, Section 3 was pretty short, but in January 2022, it was extended by Office of Memorandum and Budget or the White House Memo 2209. That is kind of, that. that's the big one. And it it's a weighty memo that goes about 50 pages and it goes down all the pillars of zero trust. So it specifies what you need to implement for identity. What actually, let me, well, I can't share my screen, unfortunately, but um, but basically your the product areas you need to focus on are identity, credential, and access management uh, devices. And this actually ties in with application performance management because it ultimately talks about uh, it, being able to inventory what you have, so you know what what it is to protect. Then we talk about zero trust networking, and there are two aspects to it. There's the north south use case where users are accessing resources. Think of like a VPN. You would access, you would log into VPN only to get into um, your resources, but then you could move laterally, which is bad. And so the new updated north south zero trust access systems prevent lateral movement. The next piece is east-west networking. That is that's actually more into we're getting to more of the observability area. So the data centers these days are incredibly complex and powerful pieces of infrastructure. We have east-west traffic bandwidth of approaching a terabit. Uh, just think about it. We used to have like 100 meg uh, connection to the Ethernet, Ethernet that was fast. We had 64k modems. Now we're approaching terabit. In fact, IEEE, the Institute for Electric Electronics Engineers, now has a standard 802.3 that goes to a terabit. So you can't just break and inspect with legacy APM tools the traffic that goes back, uh, east-west at those speeds. Moreover, most applications assume layer two operation. So you're on the same subnet. You don't want to hop through another uh, to another subnet and have a, a layer three hop like a router. So that's where we have technologies like VXLAN that virtualize layer two. Uh, you can't break and inspect anymore because if you break and inspect, you probably break the application. Moreover, whereas before we talked about breaking and inspecting, now federal government actually advises against bulk decryption because that can be more of a compromise than a single key getting compromised. So essentially, we have these opaque areas of communication between all these workloads in an application with no way of monitoring uh, what they do. So we need an observability solution that sits at the host to actually be able to provide security, host-based micro-segmentation, and also report on anything that's going on with those workloads because east-west communication is opaque. And even though, yes, we can say, well, Andre, there are technologies to look at encrypted traffic without breaking and inspecting. Like there is this thing called JA3, Juliet Alpha 3 signatures, actually initials of some guy that wrote the PhD, or how you can actually, even though it's encryption creates a random stream of data, but it's still quasi-random. And by profiling it, you can still uh, make some inferences about what it is 
that's being transmitted over those encrypted channels. But anyway, that's still very expensive. <laughs> so yes, so you need a tool to be able to monitor performance and security of these less communications. So the, you, that just, in, you yeah. said that the legacy APM stuff, the, so legacy APM traces Can, logs. So uh, traces logs and metrics. That's what makes observability. But they but can't the do the East West stuff. Because it's too fast and it's mostly encrypted. Okay. Got it. I mean, it's a lot guys. It's really is a lot. This is why we come in and we, actually have several sessions. So we start with just go giving the high level, let that settle down, let all, let it all permeate and uh, sprout, right? Uh, and then we go to different capabilities. So for example, just for section three, uh, let me just summarize as bullet points. So we have identity, devices, zero trust networking, application and workloads, data protection. So that talks about encryption, uh, using encrypted algorithms, using unified systems for key management. Uh, there's a huge piece about data labeling and categorization, and also having continuous monitoring of users accessing the data. And finally, there is visibility and, and analytics slash automation and orchestration. And I'm using the NIST terms for this, even though it's basically it's uh, security orchestration. That's that's the term. So you need to, to address all six of those product areas and each one has a myriad of capabilities. Does like do example, any of these yeah. mandates tell tell the agencies how to address them, or they just say you got to do this? They they outline uh, requirements. So, for example, I'll start with number one. If you look at say just because that's the note that are closest, like identity and access management, right? Identity is foundational to everything we do. Mm -hmm. So they talk about like OMB M twenty two hundred nine says we need to centralize all identity, use single sign on to all apps and resources use multi-factor authentication. You can have to have continuous evaluation of user behavior analytics, granular attribute access control, adaptive authentication, support for modern open standards. And you can be reading that and you're like, ah, I, I don't think my identity tool like an Octor or Payne supports all those. Uh, well, right, that's why you need some other tools. And actually what's interesting, some tools, especially in observability space, they play into other areas of technology. So for example, your uh, an, an observability tool can do a good job at overseeing machine accounts, doing whatever it is they do and providing a continuous evaluation of what's called non-user entities, uh, MUEs. Uh, whereas traditional uh, identity resources focus on user, on living, breathing, heartbeat users, for some of these machine accounts, we may not be able to use our legacy tools to monitor those, and you need an observability solution for that. So to uh, so to summarize, yes, uh, Carolyn, we have like OMBM twenty two hundred nine expands what it means to have a zero trust architecture and gives you pretty detailed requirements as to what it is that needs to be implemented. So we're only on number three, but the, the other ones will go through quicker. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, before you move yeah. on from number three, um, yeah. you mentioned that me. you might have tools that do some of or part of, it. would the observability tool tell you if you're meeting all the requirements? Like, is that something, like, could it give you a Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and and I've, again, that varies per vendor, but... Right now, it's actually becoming quite a problem. So my background, I spent a lot of time at a cloud security startup called Sky High Security. 
And we were on a forefront of securing the cloud. And when you have, for example, AWS, GCP, and Azure, they all have their native tools for running reports on how you're compliant with, for example, NIST 800-53. Sure, that's great if you're just in Azure, but, but most federal government data centers are followed the hybrid model. We still have a humongous presence on-premise because the cloud actually is becoming too expensive in a lot of cases. So we have data centers on-premise, maybe running something like VMware Cloud Foundation. We have Azure, AWS, Google, and each one offers their own dashboard. So we have these a pain, you know, we have these millions of dashboards and we can't tell what's going on. So with observability solutions, we can have a tool that unifies all these metrics uh, about performance and security and gives reports in one unified single pane of glass uh, way. Okay. So observability solutions have been becoming more critical. Okay. But they've been becoming more critical for section four of the executive order, which talks about improving software supply chain. Do all of these have money behind them? Oh, Gabby, glad you asked. <laughs> so, in fact, it's interesting. A lot of my customers ask me, well, Andre, I remember like mandates. Uh, remember 2006? Uh, we had an IPv6 mandate. And nothing happened to it. That was true back then. Now I have friends. So I'm, I'm based out of uh, Northern Virginia. I'm 15 minutes from downtown D.C., uh, and I, I hang out with a lot of friends who are staffers on the Hill, and I talk to them about cybersecurity, and they even ask me about it. This, their talks in Congress about this all the time. Why? Because the World War III is going to be fought in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we are already seeing a lot of it being fought on the battlefield between Ukraine and Russia. And the fact that Russia has been trying to hack us, and yet we still have power on and lights on is a testament to our cyber to our cybersecurity capabilities. But ultimately cybersecurity is very important. And to give you a little anecdote, if we step back, like unfortunately if you look at IT budgets in general, about 90% of them are infrastructure and only 10 are cyber. And now this thing is changing because now yeah we, we spend all this money on servers and cloud infrastructure, but how do we secure it? And so, yeah, it's becoming very important. And unfortunately, there is uh, no funding <laughs> right now. But if you read uh, on M2209, it's on actually page five of OMB memo M2209 and Zero Trust. It talks about that agencies should identify internally sourced funding in fiscal year 22 and fiscal year 23 to achieve priority goals or seek funding from alternative sources such as the working uh, capital funds or the technology modernization fund. There's some more verbiage there, but to summarize, essentially agencies are being told to put together a wish list of products they need money on and submit it up the chain to get money. And we've actually seen this. I didn't believe this at first, but like I was brief, I started briefing all these things to agencies uh, back in April. And we have this kind of talk like we're having right now, because that may be a little bit more formalized. And they're like, okay, okay, like, what are some of the vendors you recommend? Uh, okay, maybe you have two alternatives. Okay, we'll do a bake-off. Come July, we actually, even without do, doing proof of concept, we got we started getting uh, purchase orders for, well, in this case, this was zero trust networking tools and endpoint solutions and some SIM stuff. Uh, and even a couple observability tools, like we have an Air Force customer just made enormous purchase for Dynatrace. 
to fulfill these specific requirements. So it's coming. And you just have to put together a wish list and then money will come. I know it sounds incredulous, but that's what's happening. And that's what OMB M2209 tells all the agencies to do. In fact, they even ask them to put together a rough order of magnitude. Like, okay, give me kind of the upper bound of what you want to, uh, to purchase and submit that up the chain. And we've, we've started, we have seen success. And this year is when money will start pouring because they all need to show progress by FY24. And, and Carolyn, in our, yeah, go ahead. What does that mean, show progress? Like, how do they prove uh, so, that they've shown progress? <laughs> you're, you're getting to this government territory where, well, at, 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 in the least, they, like these high level requirements that are specified in M2209, uh, that would be something to, like, you'd go down the list, would be some person that's working in information assurance and they have a checklist of requirements and go down the list and report up the chain of command. Now, what happens if they don't meet the requirements? I don't know. I, it's beyond my pay grade. I haven't been a govy or like working a, a government contractor for a while. I don't know, but there's a lot of money being spend on fulfilling these requirements okay and we'd be hit up by agency leaders all the time to have these kind of talks we're having right now just to, hey like i'm looking for a new networking system i want to make sure it feels the capabilities okay i'm deploying a new application we just refactored our app like uh how do i verify secure the supply chain security and there are other tools that don't not just like the observability where they do they do have a more of like what's called shift left, like infrastructure code, the mm-hmm. CI, CD pipeline integration. But we also uh, have vendors that actually, uh, they essentially crowdsource information about suppliers, like even like people supply chips, toilet paper, chips would be microchips, uh, electrical plugs. And you'd be able to run your supplier through this scorecard system. And it would actually output a, a rating whether a vendor is risky or not, like stuff like that. Um, another one is endpoint. Endpoint is huge. Again, we're now living in an era of encrypted communication. So a lot of the legacy intrusion detection and prevention systems are no longer efficient simply because we have too much data, it's all encrypted, and we're going, we're operating at 100 gigabit speeds with now having a terabit standard. Uh, so endpoint is big because uh, we, we've been using all these antivirus systems for the longest time that uh, just do basic virus signature matching. And now we need a way to use machine learning to be able to identify risky behavior before we have a signature. Uh, and this is actually an interesting security case, even with observability solutions. Uh, so traditional security, you know, like seeing things like, oh, I see a bad guy on the network. That's becoming a little more difficult to detect. But what if somebody's mining crypto inside of your infrastructure on some server or using it as some sort of launch pad for uh, launching some sort of uh, an, an attack? Well, now with like an observability solutions, you can actually have this out of band security through performance heuristics where you can tell what, uh, okay, this is our previous state, and now we're seeing. Some workloads act abnormally to what they what, what we expect them to look like, and that may be a red flag that hey somebody is doing something nefarious on that machine, and it's not a traditional form of security whereby you're not looking for signatures, 
but you're rather monitoring for change in behavior or sort of observability data, as it were. All right. Well, you know, we're running out of time, as we always do, Andre. Um, So I want to get to like the screen share that I had up is your list of of the mandates that are important, especially in cybersecurity for next year, 2024, moving forward. Can you give me the bullet points for how agencies can get started? Um, and, And I guess... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So... If you, what's interesting, even though uh, data is at the foundation of zero trust and everything is a conduit, if you read any analyst reports and the, the NIST guidance, they talk to tackle data last. The first uh, key to implement a zero trust system is focus on identity. So identity modernization would be the first thing to do. The next will usually are the low hanging fruit. So you can you need to know what it is you have on your, on your network, what software you have on the network to protect. So you have to categorize it. So being able, so that fulfills the devices and application and workloads uh, requirement. Once you know what's on your network, then let's modernize the network. That's a, that's step number four. And and once and we and then once you know what, what's in the network, then you can talk about thinking about how to actually protect and monitor these applications. So that's step five, and that's step six is actually taking care and making sense of your data, which is implementing some sort of governance, I'm sorry, scanning and categorization systems to actually know what it is you have, what kind of data you have. And it's almost, the last part is very difficult because it's kind of like trying to tell you to clean up your attic. There, invariably there'll be spiders coming out of the corners and nobody wants to take responsibility for the data. So to summarize, start with identity, then focus on building inventory of devices and applications in your environment. Number three is the network, because that's usually kind of the easy, the refresh, refresh life cycles for networking gear, and you can get gear with open APIs that can act as policy enforcement points. Like for example, a switch can actually block a user from doing whatever they're doing based on their observed behavior. Uh, and then num- number five, we talked about observability systems, and six would be data. So, is zero trust the foundation for all of these mandates that we've been talking about? Zero trust is the new philosophy of security, and it's the overarching idea that we have to continuously. We, there's no longer perimeter. We have to continuously monitor every piece of our infrastructure to make sure it's within our security norms. And so, and for the world of applications, an APM and observability system is what's needed to be able to to monitor these applications and machine devices. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was step two or three. You can't, to quote Willie Hicks, you can't secure what you can't see. So like- Exactly. And also, you know, a key point that you made, you keep saying continuous. Like this is not one and done, obviously. This is, you know, figure it out and it never ends. Uh, or we- Yeah, yeah it's called the, the Kipling questions. Who, what, where, how, and why. Those are like the things you need to, like read your Kipling poem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The six most interesting things I think it's called. So the who, what, where, why, how, those are the questions we have to continuously ask of any kind of user entity, whether machine or human, as it's doing whatever it's doing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I have, to, term, yeah, yeah, I have to admit, as, as you were talking, I was like, man, Willie Hicks, our chief technologist, federal I love technologist. Willie. I know Willie's awesome. And I was like, I wish he were here because he would love this. And then I'm like, nope, he and Andre would geek out so bad. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, this conversation would be all day long. Um, yeah. But so I before we close. I, I just want to ask you, well, you've got your I voted sticker on. So I voted, yes. I know. Cover the CTG Federal CTG, logo. <laughs> CTG Federal. You're in Virginia, right? Yes, so I'm in Vienna. It would be rude for me to ask who you voted for because that's not cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so let's go to one of our Tech Talk questions and let's see if your answer is different this year. Oh, we weren't doing these when we first talked. Okay. So tech talk questions, quick, quick answers to questions and just kind of fun. Um, if you could wave your magic wand in technology, like what would you wish for? Anything. <laughs> uh, general purpose AI, which we'll never probably have. Not general in our life. purpose AI. What do you, what does that mean? In the field of artificial intelligence, we talk about there's, most AI we have now is narrow focus AI. I think it's called uh, AIN. Basically, we can easily tell if you if you like what's the license plate on a truck passing through our waiting scale. But as we now know with like self driving cars, uh, they're not that close as we were talking about. Because how can you tell if this is a human telling you stop, or that's yeah. a baby or a dog? Uh, it's the sample size of variations is. Is is huge. Uh, so for, for me, that's having AI go to ability not to be self aware, but more advanced. Really, more would you want it to be that advanced? It's kind of scary to me. <laughs> I think it would simplify a lot of things. Okay, okay. Tell me um, something cool to read. This is totally selfish. I just need a reading. Ah, oh, actually, uh, believe it or not, uh, I've been reading Ray Dalio's uh, Principles. That that is one. Uh, the Ray Dalio, the hedge fund manager of uh, Bridgewater and Associates. Okay. Okay. Uh, some say that if you know the show Billions, that the main character in Billions is based on Ray Dalio. He's just better looking. Uh, okay. The actor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that sounds like trash novel though. No, uh, principle is it's more of a self help book. Okay. It's about building companies foundational principles for business success. Yeah, I'm looking for something way trashier, like sci-fi stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if if I want to know about that book, it's another episode and I'm going to have you break it down for me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, Andre, um, well, uh, actually I have we a trashy, yeah. we crashed. That's about the, we work, um, you know, we worked the, the, there was like the failed IPO and yeah. the founder did walk with $1.2 billion. It's a great show on Apple TV. We, we crashed. We crashed. It's on it's Apple TV. See, that's it, yes, what I'm looking for. Jared Leto plays uh, the main guy, uh, okay. Adam Newman. And um, uh, what's her name? I forgot, I forgot the, the girl's name. And Hathaway is, it plays oh. his wife. Okay. So it's a great, great show. But you can the, the beauty of this show that shows you how a con men can become a billionaire. Okay. I'm in. I'm definitely in. Okay. Before I close this out, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Do you need any more shameless plugs for Dinatrace? For <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
contact CTG and we'll hook you up with a solution that probably involves Dynatrace. I, you know, I highly recommend it. I don't know how how agencies can navigate this space honestly without trusted partners like CTG. I mean, yeah. so okay. Well, thank you very much, Andre, for joining us again. And thanks to our, all our listeners. Share this episode, smash the like button, and we will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 